everyone, I'm Sinhara, and welcome to the Black Girl's Guide to Fertility Soul Food Sunday Edition podcast. This show is for all women who are dealing with infertility, but is specifically dedicated to Black women because we have a problem with opening up when it comes to this issue. And I don't want to leave out the men. You guys are welcome here too. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking with a television producer, um, and we're going to discuss the fact that there's more than one path to becoming a mother. Uh, This woman has an amazing story. I was connected to her the moment that I met her, and she's going to share and open up about her path and her journey to becoming a mother, and I think it's important to hear on this Mother's Day. How I Met Today's Guest My guest today is a senior producer at the uh, Morning Show Express with Robin Mead. Her name is Denise, and we met at an event uh, for writers and producers, and she was talking, kind of sharing her her story uh, regarding her career, and at the end of that story, she just happened to mention the fact that she has a son, um, and she adopted him, and so I immediately wanted to know more about her journey, and so we exchanged information, we set a time to talk, and I was completely blown away. Um, by her story and how things uh, just kind of fell into place for her, especially in a time where she felt like, okay, I'm getting older. What am I going to do? But she stayed true and hung on to God's promise in her life. And God told her that she was going to have a family, but her family wasn't going to look the way she thought it was going to look. So stay tuned. Her story is completely amazing and it should be encouraging to you on this Mother's Day where so many people are depressed for many different reasons. Some people have lost their mothers, people like you or like me. Um, It's a reminder today for us that we don't have children, but it's so important to know that you have options, that there are things that you can do to become a mother. So don't be discouraged on today. Be encouraged and listen to Denise's story, and I hope that it will bless you. Marriage down, career up. Uh, so if you can talk about uh, really how you got started and talk about your marriage and your career um, and what led you to um, just everything. So let's start with marriage first and career. So I was married in my early thirties. Um, and it was a short marriage. Um, and I will say that we both, so just to make a long story short, we were both (laughs) in our, we were both in our dream careers. And, uh, I just happened to be in Chicago at the time and he was in Atlanta. So it was a long distance marriage. We dated off and on for five years prior to, um, and then I moved and we got married after I moved, but it was long distance. And so it was really difficult. And, um, we just decided to, you know, uh, in the marriage on our own, but we did not have any children, okay. um, during that period. And then at the same time, when your marriage was ending, was your career starting to take off or were you in the place where you were trying to figure out your career? No, I think I was kind of like 
well, first of all, I was in my, I was in the job that I wanted to be in. So I was working for the Oprah Winfrey show at the time. And, um, this was a job that I'd wanted for years. And so I finally landed this job and I was very excited. And, um, so I think I was kind of like in the middle of, you know, a really great career. I had already done about eight years as a producer in local news and, you know, that I had a good stint there. And this was just, you know, another step that kind of, uh, found its way to me. And so I was, you know, I'm kind of in the throes of my career at this point. I'm here, now what? Okay, so after your marriage ended and you're doing really well, really well in your career and you're, you know, successful and now you're looking for love again and you're kind of waiting on Mr. Right and trying to find the person that you're going to be with and build a family with, um, how did you deal with that aspect of your career doing well, but your love life not doing as well? And how did you feel, you know, when people continue to say your clock is ticking or they ask you questions when you're going to have a kid? How did that impact you or did it impact you at all? So, so at this point, after my marriage ended um, and I was, you know, working and, you know, just kind of doing my thing, enjoying life, enjoying being single, um, again, um, you know, and I I will say there was a period of, you know, therapy and sadness and all of that. But once I worked through all those issues, you know, I did get back out there and start dating again and, um, meeting people. And so I met, you know, quite a few nice people just, it just never materialized, never evolved into, you know, marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I don't, you know, I think I always had in the back of my mind that, okay, I'm getting older, time is ticking, but I still wasn't as pressed mm-hmm. as, you know, in my thirties, probably as I should have been. Yeah. Um, you know, I still was just really enjoying my career and, you know, enjoying life. And, you know, that's about it. And I was dating and meeting people and had a couple of really good boyfriends along the way. Again, it just, it just never evolved into, into anything more serious. But of course, you know, when you're dating someone, I think that you think could be a potential, you know, life partner in your mind, you're thinking, oh yes, I could build a family with this person. Um, but you also don't want to, you know, rush into things and also make the wrong mistake again. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and did you feel that people were like questioning you or saying to you, you know, when are you going to have a child or was that something that people didn't no. bother you with? No. Mm-mm. Okay. no, I didn't, I didn't really feel, I didn't really feel that pressure. Not even from um, my family. I didn't really feel that pressure. Um, I think I, vocalized it more than other people asking or, you know, inquiring. So I didn't really feel a, you know, the pressure that some people feel to, you know, get married again and start this family. So no, that was not there. Forget it. I'm doing it alone. 
So going from dating to coming to a place where you decide, okay, I'm going to do this alone. What brought you to that decision? And then how did you end up? I know you mentioned, you know, during our private conversation that you uh, saw a fertility doctor. How did Mm -hmm. you get to that step in that place that you were going to go and do this uh, by yourself? So there, so I would say in my early forties, I, so I was, I think I was 30, I moved back to Atlanta when I was 39 and, um, I was working as a producer, um, at the time for BET and I think entering my 40th birthday, I think that's when I started to feel like a little, Ooh, you know, like, yeah, like I really need to settle down. I need to get married. I need to have a kid before it's too late. (laughs) Um, and so again, I, you know, it's the same scenario I'm dating, you know, and I was in, you know, a serious relationship, you know, you know, when I was 39, 40 and a little bit into 41, but that dissolved. Mm. And so again, you know, it was just this, circle and in your head you start to do the math of everything so you're okay I'm 41 let's say I meet somebody you date them you're going to be 42 mm-hmm. then you know you if you do the things traditionally then <laughs> you do things the traditional route you're talking like two, you're talking like two to two two all um, maybe even three years yeah you know and then the person has to want to have a child mm-hmm. and you know, as you get older, the people in your, you know, age range are, that are eligible, a lot of them are divorced. They may have children already. I mean, it's just a number of factors yeah. going on. Mm-hmm. So they may not want any more kids. You know, all those things are going on. So I just kind of came to the conclusion that I actually did not come to the conclusion that I wanted to have a child by myself. Mm-hmm. I came to the conclusion that I needed to uh, seek some kind of, you know, start researching fertility and the possibility of, you know, can I still have a child? Mm -hmm. So that, you know, that was probably like next step. So then I started exploring that. And when I did, um, and I found out that I probably could still carry, Mm -hmm. um, I kind of then, I think then I kind of settled in my mind that, okay, you know, maybe I can't just go ahead and do this by myself. Um, so along the way, along this fertility journey, um, my egg reserve at first, when I started, it was pretty high for somebody in their early forties. But as time went on throughout the process, it started to get lower and lower and lower. And had you selected sperm donors at this point in time, or you were just going through with, you know, the basic steps? So I was still in the, I was still at the beginning of, you know, doing all this testing. There's a lot of genetic testing, all this testing that you have to do to make sure your body is physically, you know, to make sure that you're in shape to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, And when we went through all of that, they actually do uh, the, and there's a specific name for it, but I'll just call it the egg reserve test they do the egg reserve test again. And when they did, so we probably did it three times in the period of maybe 
eight to nine months. Wow. So the last time we did it, we were getting close to, you know, actual picking a sperm donor. And that is when <clears throat> they discovered that my egg reserve was like, it was so low. It was, you know, they were, you know, they could try to, you know, harvest some eggs, but it really was, you know, almost at zero at that point. And how did you deal with that going from them telling you, okay, everything is great. Your egg reserve is great to then going to that drastic, you know, well, it's not what we thought it was going to be. So, you know, it's, it's interesting, but I kind of, I was sad, but I wasn't like, okay, this is not the end of the road. I, I never felt like this was the end of the road. Um, I think my, there was something inside of me. It could be my faith, mm-hmm. um, this tugging in my heart that knew I was going to be a mother somehow that kind of kept you going, kept me going. Exactly. So the next step is um, they start recommending. So in addition to sperm donors, I said, well, you can still carry because, you know, my fallopian tubes are fine. My uterus is fine. Mm-hmm. You know, so but. I would have to pick it now an egg donor and a sperm donor. Mm-hmm. So I actually started that process where I'm looking online for egg donors now, mm-hmm. looking online, well, looking through the, you know, the, the, the database, the database for egg donors and sperm donors. And I don't know, I probably did that for, you know, a couple of months. And then something inside of me was like, I don't really want to do this. It's, I I don't know. I just didn't see a point because Mm -hmm. even though you are, you're you're semi in control and you're selecting, I didn't really see that much difference in adopting other than you're not carrying the child. Mm -hmm. But otherwise it's still somebody else's egg and still someone else's sperm. And is that when you said that God mentioned to you, um, you know, that you were going to have a family, but not in the way that you thought. And I could be phrasing yes. it wrong. But if you can just talk about that a little bit and like what that experience was like, you hearing those words and moving on to another step. I think that, you know, I mean, I've always had a strong faith, mm-hmm. very strong foundation from my childhood, um, you know, in God. And I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm very prayerful. I'm very spiritual, more so, I would say, than religious. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and just through meditation and um, through prayer and just kind of just kind of going through the motions, but trying to be patient and listen to all of this, I, I just felt that, yes, I was going to have a family. Mm-hmm. And that God was going to bless me with a family, but it might not be the family that I had envisioned at one point. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a family that I grew up in. Yeah, yeah. It's like mom and dad and brother and a sister. Mm-hmm. And, you know, very, very traditional, um, you know, very traditional, very upper middle class background. So, yeah, this was going to be different. Um, entering adoption, you know, entering, you know, just coming to the conclusion that I was going to look into adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, I think in the back of my mind also, I'd always said 
that I wouldn't mind adopting. I mean, I've always been mentoring and working with kids and um, working with youth, disadvantaged youth, low-income youth. So I kind of knew that this would be an area that I would explore. Even if I had had a child. Mm -hmm. um, But you would still adopt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would have explored this for sure. So it just came a little bit quicker. Journey to Luke. How was that journey? So you go from uh, the fertility doctor to eventually going into the adoption process. If you can so, talk about that, how that journey was. So I actually contacted some friends who had adopted that I knew that had adopted and went through the process. And um, one of them connected me with, um, you know, an agency, a nonprofit agency in Georgia um, that facilitated home studies and background checks and eventually, you know, helped to, you know, find an agency to match you with. So I, I'll be honest with you. I went into this very research mode, like, Mm -hmm. so, you know, you have your initial meetings and they talk to you about what this is all about and you decide whether or not you want to, you know, move forward with everything. And so I just decided to, you know what, let's try it and let's see what happens. Now, That's, were all your that, meetings here in Georgia, or did you have to leave to go to another state for the meetings? No, everything was here in Georgia, but the agency that I eventually selected was in California. Got it. Okay. And then um, back to your process, how you, you spoke to friends, you started the process here, mm-hmm. if you can get more into that. Right. So I started the process in June of 2015. And that was kind of like an inquiry period. So I'm meeting someone, I would almost say like you have a caseworker who works with you. Mm-hmm. And I, they basically go over here. If you want to adopt a child, here's everything that you have to do. And it's quite a bit. Um, but I said, I'm going to go ahead and do it. So, you know, you go ahead and you start getting all the paperwork together. There's background checks. There's. Um, you know, criminal background checks, there's financial background checks, there's, um, you have to take a physical, you have to take drug test, there's all kinds of tests, and then you have to take adoption classes. Um, So it's a pretty extensive process that could take, um, you know, anywhere from four to five months up to a year, depending on how quickly you can gather all this documentation together and get approvals. Got it. Okay. And past, you know, make sure, uh, you know, they, you know, the, the basic thing is they want to make sure that you are going to be a fit parent, mm-hmm. a loving parent, a nurturing parent, a caring parent. So they take all those things into consideration. And of course there are home, there are about two or three home studies that, um, take place. So they send a social worker out to your home to kind of see if the home is, you know, fit and appropriate to bring a child into the home and, you know, to make sure that you're a little, that you're sane, (laughs) you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, you have to do essays on why you want to adopt, what's your intention, those types of things. So it's pretty extensive. I would say it's more extensive than actually just getting pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Right. So, um, 
that process for me took about four months. Okay. Um, so it wasn't that long to get all the paperwork and get everything approved. So it took about four, four or five months. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, there's a period where you, um, your caseworker suggests to you some agencies to start researching. Um, and I ended up selecting um, an agency that's considered a matching agency. So basically it's an agency that matches you with the birth mom and outside lawyers that they recommend actually facilitate the, you know, the finalization. So they're the whole thing with this agency is just to match you with someone to find someone who, uh, you know, to pair people together that, um, you know, mates. Yeah, they, they kind of fit. They kind of fit. So that's the whole thing, as opposed to like a full service adoption agency. I didn't really need a full service adoption agency because I had used this nonprofit in Georgia to do the background check and the home study and, you know, all the other preliminary information. Got it. And so the full service adoption agency, are they more expensive or does that, is there a difference between the two? Well, I would say, yeah, there is a difference, but the price, the price point could be around, it's about probably around the same. You're going to end up paying about the same because there are attorney fees on both sides. Got it. Okay. So after they match you with a birth mother, which I'm assuming you have a choice in who you want to go with and that birth no. mother has a choice. No. No. You don't have a choice? You don't have a choice. You can't, you can't. Well, let's put it this way. What? <laughs> you, so with this, do you have a choice? Yes. You kind of have a choice because you can say yay or nay. If you want to, if you know, if you're going to be matched with this person, if you think it's a good fit, but ultimately the birth mom is the one who's choosing the parent, the potential parent. So the birth mom typically has, I mean, she has the advantage because she's looking at the birth mom is looking at your profile and everything that we put together with this particular agency with your with you don't you don't actually once you're matched you're matched based on the profile that you put together and the agency decides whether or not this person is a good match for you. And then they send you some brief information. But in the beginning, when you're matched, you may only have a first name, a state, and how far along they are in the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that's it. You might no picture, no other background information. Wow. So you don't get to see them at all? Well, you do once you start to establish relationships. So, okay. and, it, and it also depends on... Um, you know, how much information they want to reveal to you, how, what the relationship is like with that particular person, you know, just, so there are just a lot of factors that go into it. I was very fortunate. I was matched with three different birth moms over a period of, over a period of about five months. Mm -hmm. The first two matches uh, did not, you know, pan out. The first birth mom, she changed her mind 
and she wanted to keep her baby. Wow. Um, and so, but it, it, that was my first match mm-hmm. and it was only about two weeks of getting to know this person. Okay. So I didn't feel as vested. Got it. The second person I was matched with, the second young lady, um, I did feel a little, I definitely felt a little bit more vested and attached. We had gotten to know each other um, over via email, over the phone. Um, I still, the interesting part about this person, though, I didn't have any pictures of her. Okay. So we communicated December, January, February, probably for about three, three and a half months. And during that time, are you sending her money or how does that work? Or is that all going through the agency? Right. So with this particular agency, there's a period where, and it, a lot of it also depends on the how far along they are in their pregnancy. So this particular agency, they don't want to do things like that in the beginning mm-hmm. because the birth mom may change her mind. You know, there's just all kinds of things. So there's a period where you're, it's, I would call it like almost like a courting phase where you're just really getting to know one another. And then when the birth mom decides, Hey, this is the person I really would like to be, you know, the parent of this child I'm having, then they move forward with, you know, what they might consider birth mom expenses. Mm-hmm. And those birth mom expenses vary based on the agency, based on the state. Um, and it's never, well, in, in this particular, in my particular case, you're never, you know, you're not giving any cash or checks or anything directly to the birth mom. It's all facilitated through an agency, through attorneys. Um, and it's also given in like gift cards or, you know, things of that nature. Got it. And so, so by, by the time the third birth mom, that's the person that you stuck with or she stuck with you. Right. Exactly. So this, the third birth mom I was matched with, um, was my, is my son's biological mother. Mm-hmm. And we were matched in April of 2016 and he was due in June. Wow. Actually his actual due date was my birthday. Wow. So and when she told me that, I was like, oh, my God, this is my like, kid. my kid. <laughs> like, this is my kid. So, um, so we got to know each other pretty well in a short period of time. Um, she was a little bit older. when, And when I say a little bit older, 33, not that that's old, mm-hmm. of course. But older than the other two. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, and she was very sure that this is what she wanted to do. And, you know, she was just very, this is what she sure she wanted to do. She was, she worked. Um, so she had health insurance. Um, and she was from a state that did not do birth mom expenses. So it was, it's just illegal in this particular state. Okay. So that wasn't a factor. In, in this case. Um, so we were matched. And then in May, at the beginning of May, um, she decided she definitely wanted me to be the parent of her child. And so once that happened, she tells the agency and then lawyers get involved. And, you know, there's all kinds of paperwork and da 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 on both sides. And, 
you know, waiving biological parental rights, which she did. And also the biological father did. And Mm -hmm. this is all going on at the beginning of May. During all this time, she is her blood pressure is getting is is rising. She developed preeclampsia, mm-hmm. and she told me that she may go into labor early, and she did. So he actually um, was born at the end of May, but her pregnancy, her um, birth was scheduled. So I was able to get there in time be there with her for the birth, um, cut the umbilical cord and, you know, stay in the hospital for a couple of days <clears throat> with her and my son and, and actually take him home from the hospital. And what was that experience like? Um, because I know that I guess there's a time or there's a window mm-hmm. where the birth mother can change their mind. So when right. you left the hospital with him, and of course you're excited, you're like, I got my baby, were you right. ever nervous or like oh, yeah. scared that, oh my gosh, she's going to change her mind and not have yes. him? Yes. What was that like? Yes. So although we were in another state, um, we decided all, she agreed and the lawyers all agreed to do it under Georgia law because the waiting period in the state of Georgia for adoptions is 10 days for, you know, a birth mom to change her mind. Um, in the particular state that we were in, it was, it's 30 days, mm-hmm. which is much longer. Okay. So, That's so a long time. <laughs> 30 days is about 10 days is a long time, Yeah, but 30 days is even longer. Yeah. So, um, she agreed to do the 10 day window and actually, uh, it, I mean, yes, I had to stay in that state, not because of this waiting period, but I had to stay in the state because there is, um, there's an interstate compact commission that has to agree, uh, to let you leave one state with a child and enter another state with a child. Um, so so you just technical. Yeah, it's very technical. You just can't take a child over state lines that is not biologically yours, mm-hmm. you know, without the proper paperwork being in order and all of those things. So you have to wait. So I had to wait in this particular state for a little over two weeks. And since I had to wait two weeks anyway, the 10 days, so the 10 days ended up falling within the two week period that I had to wait anyway to come back to Georgia. Okay. So it kind of all it kind of all worked out. It kind of all coincided right around the same time. No looking back. So how did you feel getting on the plane and like, okay, I'm going home with my child? How was that feeling knowing that she's not changing her mind? I'm going home. And what was that experience like? There was a sense of relief. There was a sense of elation. I mean, I, I'd be honest with you, I almost couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, that, 
I was like, oh, my God, I have this child. <laughs> the child and the baby Bjorn. We're about to board this plane. We're about to be out. Yes. It all, <laughs> you know, it was all pretty surreal. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was surreal and amazing all at the same time. And it all happened very quickly. If I, you know, if I look back on, I mean, I started this whole process in June of 2015 and a year later, I have a baby. And that's why I was like so in love with your story because I meet people and though they don't go into depth about, you know, them adopting, but I know a lot of people have been waiting a long time, you know, Mm -hmm. it could be two years and they're still, you know, waiting. And that's why I was just so like, you know, enamored with your story because it was meant to be like everything for you just fell into place. And like, that was your baby. Like God had destined for him to be yours, you know? Um, So I just find that uh, to be so amazing. And so once you get back to Atlanta Mm -hmm. and you're home and you're, you know, a new mom and you're, you're doing this, how was that experience just not looking back and moving forward? And what can you just describe the joy that you've experienced since becoming a mom and why you went and trade your journey for anything. So it's hard. Well, moms know what it's like to have a child, but I I think the, just the love and just this feeling of being responsible for someone else and Mm -hmm. nurturing them and caring for them and, you know, being responsible for how you're going to raise them and what kind of person they're going to be in the world is, I mean, it's just an enormous responsibility, but it's also, it just brings you so much joy Mm -hmm. and so much. um, It's, I will say it's joy and angst all at the same time (laughs) because you want to make sure that it's like, am I doing the right thing? Am I, you know, you're constantly, I think, questioning to make sure, um, you know, you're raising the child in a way that God would want you to raise the child and you want them to be happy and healthy and whole and, um, and just have, have the world. But I'm, I'm just grateful and I'm thankful that I've had this, that I had the opportunity to, to be someone's mother, Mm -hmm. um, because I've, I wanted to share my life with someone else and, you know, I have the means and I'm grateful that I am able to, you know, provide for him and care for him and, you know, nurture him into, you know, a productive and loving and caring and, you know, smart and generous young man. Mm -hmm. So, you know, God has, you know, given me this, this gift Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't take it for granted. I take it very seriously. Um, But I, you know, I'm happy. I, you know, we have a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I will say that, you know, being a, you know, you know, what some people call single mom by choice Mm -hmm. um, is one of those things that you have to have a good support system in place. I've talked to a lot of people, you know, who contemplating doing this and 
especially, you know, single women, single professional women. And that's my main thing. My main thing is you definitely want to have a a support system in place because you'll need it. You'll need it. It it really does take a village. And so so you have people that help you. You know, you didn't just step off the plane like, okay, I'm by myself. No, I mean, I mean, I had one of my best friends, you know, fly to, to me to help me fly back to Georgia. Wow. So I wasn't even, I didn't even come back by myself. Um, and even when I was up there, you know, I had uh, a cousin come down and stay with me for a little while um, while I was waiting. Okay. Yeah. The situ- my situation, I just had a lot of angels along the way. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't think people would, I mean, when I tell people, like, even the story of, you know, where I stayed. Yeah. While I, was, I stayed at an Airbnb and people were like, oh, my God, you stayed at an Airbnb. Um <laughs> But the family I stayed with, um, they were both lawyers and they were, you know, a little bit older. Their kids were gone, grown out of the house. They were actually grandparents. Um, And they just happened to, you know, Airbnb, the top floor of their house. And they also had a Jamaican housekeeper. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> what's crazy was it was almost like I went into this situation where I had help already, mm-hmm. you know, right away. So mm-hmm. it was just it was just a blessing, like even the setup, um, you know, in the other state, mm-hmm. how it all kind of came together and this family and you know, the Jamaican housekeeper and they, you know, they had, they had a crib already, mm-hmm. um, from their grandchild who, when, you know, when they come to visit, so they set up the crib for us. And wow. I mean, it was just, you know, it was just unreal. Yeah. So I'm very crazy. thankful that the journey has been, um, the, the adoption journey was relatively smooth for me from the beginning all the way to the finalization and, um, even, I mean, I think about even little things like just getting his social security card and the mm-hmm. birth certificate and everything mm-hmm. switched over. Mm-hmm. It was all pretty easy. Wow. It was all pretty easy. I mean, of course there's wait, you know, there's a period where you're waiting. Yeah. Um, but you're waiting, but there was, there were no hiccups along the way. And then I don't know, I forget if I asked you this, what was the total, financial commitment if you're willing to share (laughs) if you're willing to share because you know people will always say oh you know why don't you just adopt or why don't you just do fertility treatment and they always say like it's such an easy thing to do you know if you don't have the finances to do that it's not always an easy answer you know so if you're willing to share you know maybe in the range around what it costs you you know to help other people who don't know so I'm going to, I'm going to say this. I will say that adoption is expensive and I think they need to actually figure out ways to make it less expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, going through the foster care system is, is, um, you know, a more desirably economical way to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, because you were actually, uh, you know, you're actually getting paid. Mm-hmm. 
But um, the process is, you know, it's fairly expensive. And I had to dig into my savings Mm -hmm. and um, sell some stocks. And, you know, I had to get real creative (laughs) with with the financing. I mean, even put stuff on credit cards because um, all in all, it was like around 30,000. Wow. And so it's not cheap. Yeah. And fortunately, you know, I work for a company that does adoption reimbursement. Mm Mm-hmm up to a certain amount. Mm-hmm. Um, and also with the uh, child. So when, you know, Luke was born, it was under the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. So they still had the child adoption tax credit. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I heard that it was going away. I don't know if it's Stay going down. away or if it's changed, mm-hmm. but I know that something has happened I, you know, so people would have to research that. But mm-hmm. at the time I was able to do the child adoption credit, get the reimbursement. <clears throat> and, um, there were a couple other things that ended up, you know, kind of working out in my favor. And so I probably recouped, um, at least half of it okay. through tax credits and the reimbursement. Tips from Denise on adapting. What would you say to women, you know, whether they're single, whether they're married or whatever their situation is, what would you say to them who feel like, you know, giving up, you know, this is not working for me, be fertility treatments, you know, this is not working for me. I've been going through the adoption process, taking them a long time to place me with a child you know, what would you say to them to encourage them? Um, just, you know, alone, hearing your journey alone is encouraging. And your son is the cutest, cutest little thing I've ever seen. Thank um, you. <laughs> but what would you say to people to encourage them to, if this is a dream that they have, to not let it go? You know, I would just say, I think you're, I think a person's faith it's what's going to carry them through this. And I, I, I honestly believe that if, you know, God has placed in your heart to be a mother or father, um, then you're destined to do that. Mm-hmm. And it may not be in the way that you think it will be just like it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. But if it's, you know, I, I honestly believe that if it's in your heart and in your mind, that it somehow will come to fruition. Mm-hmm. And, I think another I think another thing that really helped me was kind of just um relaxing into the process. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds a little weird, but mm-hmm. not being so stressed out and not being so stressed out not being yeah. exactly not having so much anxiety, not being so, you know, anxious over wh- who's going to be the mother, what is the baby going to look mm-hmm. like? Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, just, you know, cause there's so many different scenarios and there's so many different things. <laughs> um, I think it's kind of funny, but I think my attitude, Hey, I'm, let me check it out. Let me see what happens. You know, I wasn't really stressed out about it. Mm-hmm. I took 
an approach that was like, I would, of course I took the process seriously, mm-hmm. but I wasn't really stressed out. Yeah. I just kind of had this attitude of, I'm going to see what happens mm-hmm. and we're going to go down this journey and, you know, if it happens, it happens. And then eventually, <laughs> you know, I mean, at some point had it not materialized, I don't think I would have like kept on forever. Yeah. I would have looked for other ways to, mm-hmm. to mother. I mean, I had been, I've been mentoring for years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For years I've been mentoring kids. So, so you, you were already a mother. I was and already a mother. This just took you to, you know, another level. <laughs> and your motherhood. <laughs> I mean, some of the kids I was mentoring here in Atlanta mm-hmm. when I was here the first time before I moved to Chicago and New York, um, they babysat Luke. I mean, they were at the time that I was mentoring them, they were like in elementary school and middle school. They're in their 20s now. Wow. So, you know, and I'm still, you know, connected to them. Yeah. So yeah, some of them have been over. <laughs> they they you know they were here to bring him stuff when he, when I brought him back, and they've been to his birthday party, his first birthday party. Mm-hmm. Um, they um, and they and they've been over to babysit. So it's funny how that you know kind of came full circle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's almost like they're you know they're kind of like my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just older, of course, now and. All that good stuff. But yeah, I've always kind of had an affinity for mentoring youth and helping youth and, you know, encouraging them and motivating them. And um, now this is just kind of like me having a mentee, but it's my son. Yeah. <laughs> oh, full-time. full-time. Right now, <laughs> every single day. Right. Exactly. Not just on every other weekend. I want to thank Denise for taking the time to share her story. And before we go, she has one final thought of encouragement for those who want to be mothers and for those who want to be fathers. I encourage people to explore it, to have an open um, mind about it um, and just to relax. And I, I, I would also, you know, I want to say this for for women who are for single women who are contemplating this, because I've heard this a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, they worry about what people will think. Who cares? Um, I always say that. Who exactly. Cares? <laughs> they, yeah. They worry about what people think, what people will say, or, um, you know, or the appearance of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and nobody really cares. People are so caught up in their own stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that they, <laughs> that you know it doesn't matter it doesn't matter as long as you know you feel that you can be a great parent and you surround your child with you know healthy um role models you know throughout their life and expose them to you know things that will help them grow um you know they're going to turn out to be just fine Mm -hmm. and you know people are going to say what they're going to say regardless So people talk about you if you're, you know, 50 and don't have kids Mm -hmm. and never married. And if you, and then if you're 50 and single and then you adopt child, they're going to talk about you. Exactly. So Um, here's what they say. Exactly. So in the end, it doesn't matter. They're not going home with you. You're not going to talk to them every day. You're not going to see them every day. Exactly. You know, um, I think people have to get to a point where, 
you know, where you're not worried about what people are thinking and about this, you know, the vision that you may have had of, you know, my perfect husband and our Mm -hmm. perfect house and our, you know, white picket fence and, Mm -hmm. you know, the dog and Mm -hmm. 2.5 kids and all that. Yeah. Um, You know, there are other ways to build a family Mm -hmm. and to still be healthy and, you know, wealthy and whole, you know, you know, in your mind and in your spirit. So, you know, I think once people can get past, you know, what other people are thinking, then they'll be on the right path. They'll be on the right path. And that will open the door to, you know, whatever motherhood looks like for them or fatherhood. that this conversation has uplifted you and that you remember the things that God has promised you. And one of the things that I plan on doing today, uh, which is something that um, uh, a pastor suggested uh, that people do, which is to write down the things that God has promised us. And so he referenced Habakkuk 2 and 2. In short, it says, write the vision, make it plain. And so I plan to write down the things that God has promised me, especially as it relates to children. And so I think that that is an exercise for you to do today um, on this Mother's Day to write out the things that God has promised you. So in days where you have doubt and days where you feel discouraged and days where you feel depressed, you can look back on those words and you can use it as motivation to move forward. Sinhara Eastman, and thank you for listening to the Black Girl's Guide to Fertility Soul Food Sunday Edition podcast. You can stay connected with this movement on my website, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And if you haven't already, please join my mailing list at blackgirlsguidetofertility.com and on sinharaeastman.com.